right, before we uh, transition for our lesson, let's bow together and have a word of prayer. Lord, I love the fact that Chris started off really helping us to go quickly to a place of just opening up our heart and opening our eyes to the, the fact that the world is in great need. And I am so thankful that with that communion lesson along with what Ryan talked about, I'm thankful that we can come to church and we can quickly realize that life is not about us. It's not about just all of us just consuming to build our own life, but it really is learning to live a fulfilling life, living for you and living for other people. And God, we apologize to you because we realize that time and time again, we constantly need to be reminded of who you are and why we're here even on earth. And so, Father, open our eyes, open our heart, and help us learn from you. We want to be your greatest students. We want to be your greatest followers so that your name can be glorified through our lives. But thank you for the privilege of learning from your word week in and week out. We owe you our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It is great to be here and in person. Those who are online, too. Grateful that you're viewing and watching, and I trust that the Holy Spirit will be moving in your life. I am so thankful. Uh, first of all, if you're, if you're joining us for the first time, thank you for being here and being part of the church family. We're grateful that you're here. Uh, we really believe that God has orchestrated the times and places for each one of us, quite honestly, uh, to be able to spur each other on toward love and good deeds. But over the past several weeks, we've been learning about God. We've been learning about his prosperity that he has for our lives. This last week, we, we talked about how to enjoy people in our lives because sometimes we don't and we need to, and we need to learn how to do that. We've been looking at the book of Philippians, and we were going to continue on this theme of joyful so that we can be people full of of the proper joy in our lives. And why are we even looking and studying this book of Philippians? I really believe we can learn a lot about the approach of life. We can learn a lot and be equipped on how to approach life. And so what we're going to talk about today as we continue our, our book study in the book of Philippians, it's this, how to be joyful no matter what? How to be joyful no matter what? Now here is the truth. It is not easy to always be joyful in life. It is not. Why? It's because life brings problems. Life brings challenges and it affects our joy level, doesn't it? It does. And you might say, well, if I could just get rid of all my problems, then life would be so much more joyful. And in many ways, that's true. But here's the reality. There is no such thing as a problem-free life. You will never be able to exterminate all the problems or challenges in your life. There will be times of stress. There will be times of disappointment, discouragement depression. There will be times of those things. And 
Let me just say something on the front end of the lesson today. When I think about being joyful, no matter what, I'm not saying that we're robots without any emotion or any feeling in our lives and that we bottle up everything up inside and then we kind of just grind it out and even if circumstances are really bad, we're just going to be joyful. That's what not, I'm not talking about that at all. We can read the Psalms of David and you can see David pouring out all his his grief and his emotions and his feelings to God. And he's pouring out his heart to the Lord because of what he is experiencing. We can even look at the example of Jesus Christ and we can see his tears of pain, his tears of suffering, his remorse, his desire to be able to help other people. So I'm not talking about us being robots, brothers and sisters. That would not be healthy at all. However, I'm going to talk about what it means to be healthy Christians and not remain in the state. If we're going to be healthy, then we're going to need spiritual compasses in our life to point us in the right direction. When circumstances aren't good, when situations aren't favorable, it's not what we prayed for, it's not what we expected. Don't mistake bad moments a bad month or a bad year for a bad life. Don't mistake that about who you are in God because God has your back. Here's the key for you and for me. If we're going to learn how to be joyful no matter what, if we're going to learn to be joyful, you must learn to be joyful in the situation in the problems, in the very experiences of life. As you're going through challenge, as you're going through pain, as you're going through hardship, we may not be feeling joyful, and that's okay. And I'm not saying that we should automatically just be joyful. What I am saying is, let's bring our feelings, let's bring our emotions to God and sometimes other people so we can be processed and we know the spiritual compass we need to get to. We know where we want to go. We know where we want to be. Ultimately, we want to be able to see God even through our challenge. Are you with me here, guys? You know, happiness comes from the word happenstance, from which we get the word circumstance. It depends on happenings. And so this is where we can get really faked out between joy and happiness. Happiness has to do with circumstances that are happening in your life. It's more of an external result that happens in your life. Whereas joy is not external. Joy that God talks about is something that you have internally. It's something that you have learned to tap in to the power of God to bring you the contentedness, the security that you have in life despite what other things are going on. You have now become, rather than a, 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 a boat that is not anchored and you're just drifting in the waters, you have now become an anchor that regardless what's going on above the surface of the water, you remain anchored. 
anchored in God. I think about Disneyland, the happiest place in the world. And as a family, we got a chance to go to Disneyland before the Orlando conference in Florida just a few months ago. And we were getting on the train, and you know how that is when the gates open in the morning? I mean, everyone is so happy. It is amazing how the energy level. And I remember uh, going on a tra uh, the train, and, you know, the kids are all excited. But I, I saw this one shirt that this dad was wearing, and I said, this is a great shirt. Do we have a picture of it? See, the kids, the kids wear best day ever. But this dad had this shirt on, most expensive day ever. And so it's, it's true. It absolutely is true of what can happen at a place, at the happiest place in the world. Uh, the point I'm making is not that we're going to go to Disneyland. I'm saying you and me, we have to learn to be able to separate ourselves from the circumstances that are happening in it. It doesn't mean we deny them. It doesn't mean we try to sweep them under the rug or just be oblivious to them. It means somehow we are able to separate where we get our joy level from. And it not, it's not from the things that are happening because circumstances go up and down in your life. And if, if you're basing your joy on circumstances in your life, you're going to be roller coaster sick. The joy that God is talking about is anchoring ourselves on him. Jesus was able to do this. The joy set before him. He scorned the cross. He, 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 he shamed it. He saw the future of what his life was going to produce in all of us. And that was salvation for our souls. Let's go into the background of what we're going to be looking at today in Philippians. But for the last four years, Paul has had miserable circumstances. He spent two years in prison in Caesarea. Then he's put on a ship to go to Rome to appear before Nero. And Nero, if you know anything about Nero, he is not nice towards Christians. On the way, Paul gets shipwrecked. He's stranded on an island. He's bitten by a poisonous snake. He waits the winter there, and then he continues to roam, spends another two years in prison awaiting trial, later to be executed. These were Paul's circumstances when he wrote this letter. And during the two-year period in Rome, Paul is chained to a guard 24 hours a day. He has absolutely no privacy in his life. Every four hours, he gets a new guard. And yet, in spite of all these situations, Paul says this in chapter 1, verse 18. What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. What is Paul's secret of learning to be joyful no matter what, what happens? Paul's secret of staying positive 
and staying joyful despite the fact that his circumstances did not turn out the way that he imagined it to be. Paul gives us some spiritual compasses in this passage in chapter 1. Let me share them with you. Here's the first spiritual compass if you and I are going to have to learn how to be joyful no matter what. Number one is I need perspective to live from. You and I need perspective. Here's the truth. How you look at your problems is so much more important than the actual problem. How you view your challenge is so much more important than the actual challenge. Your perspective makes a difference. Paul says it to us in verse 12 and 13 of chapter 1. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Do you see how Paul is flipping the circumstance? He is in prison. He is chained. And what is he saying? He's saying, I, I get it. What's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. I see it. Even though I'm in a lousy happenstance right now, I get it. God has a purpose for it. In other words, Paul is saying, I can see the best even in the worst of circumstances. I can see God working despite the challenge I'm going through. People outside of Christ are hearing about Jesus Christ. Therefore, I rejoice. I am happy that my unfavorable circumstance is actually helping other people. You know, Paul, he always wanted to go to Rome, but certainly not the way that it turned out. Instead, God put him in prison, where he would later write many of the letters of the New Testament. He's chained to palace guards. The, these are uh, praetorium guards that were the elite soldiers of Caesar's guard of that day. Caesar would personally choose these guards to be his bodyguards. And they were the highest paid soldiers of the empire. And when they retired after 12 years, they were, many of them were put into leadership roles for Rome. I say this because we got to see what's happening in Paul's life. There is not a more strategic group of people that Paul could reach out to if he were going to influence Rome. God allows Paul to be in Rome. Caesar's paying for the bill. 24-hour shifts. Every four hours, a new guard is being chained to Paul. What do you think Paul may have been doing during those times? What do you think he might have been talking about with these guards? These guards have an inside route to the emperor. They have an inside scoop, a, a direct line into the leadership of Rome. And as a result, maybe Paul, in the two and a half years that he is chained to different guards, maybe Paul has witnessed to hundreds, perhaps thousands 
of Roman guards during that time. As a result, some of Nero's family became believers. I'm sharing these things to us to give us some insight of what Paul might have been doing and what God was allowing and that these lemons were being turned into lemonade by God. In Philippians 1 verse 14, Paul says to us, because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Do you see what's happening, guys? Paul is communicating to me. He says, don't have a pity party for me. Don't feel sorry for what I'm going through. Don't. I'm telling you, God is advancing the gospel through my chains. In prison, God is still working. And as a result, more and more disciples around the world were becoming more courageous because they saw what Paul was doing. Perspective really matters. How you view your problems is more important than the problem itself. That's how we're going to learn how to be joyful no matter what. You got to flip the script. You got to start seeing things from God's perspective from an eternal long-range view and not have a pity party with yourself. And it doesn't mean you're not grieving. It doesn't mean you're not sad. It doesn't mean you don't have emotions or feeling of discouragement. No, bring those to God. Cast all your anxiety upon God because he cares and he understands. But how you view your problems is going to Dictate the success of how you get through your problems. Amen, brothers and sisters. What do we need to live by? Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And that's a great scripture that we are fired up with when things are good in our lives. But when things are tough in our life, that's a, that's a harder scripture to embrace. But the scripture is still true. And the God that we worship is still true. God has a purpose behind every one of our problems. That's something that we've got to believe. And I don't know what you may be going through in life right now. I don't know what kind of challenges or problems or turmoil or how upset you are or what your needs are, I don't know. But what I do know is that if you go to God, there is a reason and an answer and a lesson and something that God is doing in your problem. That if you stay faithful, God has a purpose behind your problem and you are going to find greater peace and joy when you surrender it to him. Number two, what does Paul teach us? What's another spiritual compass? I need a priority to live by. These points are going to all start with the letter P, just to make it easy. It helps me to remember them too. But if we're going to learn how to be joyful no matter what, brothers and sisters, you need priority. You need to decide already what's important to you and what's not. Because if you don't have any values, if you don't have any significance of what you believe is important, 
then you're going to be wishy-washy in life. And the circumstances in your life are going to knock you off. When things get tough, you got to know what's really important and what's not. Paul told us this in Philippians 1 verse 15. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. In other words, Paul is saying there's a good group of people out there who have pure motives, and that's great. They've got great motives. They're doing the right thing. On the other hand, there are people who are jealous about what is happening. They're jealous on the ways that God has used me to help other people. They're envious. They see me as competition. Now that I'm out of the way in prison in these chains, you know, these other people that have impure motives, they think they can just kind of step on in and get the spotlight. They're greedy, hoping to get something out of it for themselves. Look what Paul says in that circumstance. In verse 18, what does it matter? What, is, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to Rejoice. Paul, Paul is saying, I've already decided that I really don't care what other people's motives are. I really don't care whether it's mixed, whether it's bad, or whether it's different. The priority is that Christ is talked about. The priority is that the gospel is being preached. And because of that, I rejoice. I rejoice. Paul said he wasn't going to let anybody steal his joy because of people who are critical of him, undue circumstances. Paul wasn't going to let people, whether they have good motives or not, rob him of his joy. He said their motives may be wrong, their style may be different, but if the message of Jesus is getting out, so what? What does it matter? Jesus is talked about. He's preached about. I rejoice. Now, hear me out on this too. I'm not saying that any doctrine is acceptable. I'm not saying that. And that it's a free-for-all Christianity in our world today. I'm not saying that at all. And people can do anything they want. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that fundamentally, we're not in a competition with anyone else. You and me as disciples of Christ, we're not in a competition with anyone else. We're not in competition with any other church in this world. The only competition that you and I are in is with the devil and fighting for people's souls. That's the only competition that you and I are in. I want to free us up from any other unhealthy pressures that we may be feeling. 
We've got to have priority in our lives. We've got to value what is truly important in our time on earth. Because there's a lot of noise, there's a lot of distractions, and we all need to do our best to focus on what really counts. What should we prioritize? Proverbs 3, 6 says in the Living Bible, in everything you do, put God first. And he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. This is what truly counts for you and for me. It's putting God first in our lives. There really isn't any other things that should take that spot. God should be number one for you and for me. If we're going to learn how to be joyful no matter what. I want to remind all of us of a short phrase that as a church leadership we came up with many years ago. And I have it on my email signature. It just helps to remind me of how I need to stay focused and what's really important. But it's this phrase, and if you forgot it, that's okay. You can start remembering it again. But it's this simple phrase. I don't think I have it on the screen. Love God, live like Jesus. Can you write that down? Love God, live like Jesus. Now, I personally have added a third little statement to that. Love God, live like Jesus, lead others to Christ. And that is a, a helpful spiritual tagline for our church family to stay focused on what priority means to us. Love God, live like Jesus, lead others to Christ. And I hope that all of us can join together to embrace the spiritual compass of priority. Because there's going to be a lot of noise in your life. However many years you live here on earth, there's going to be lots of temptation that's going to compete for your energy and your time and your efforts. But you've got to be a man or woman who has priority and understands what's important for you. Live, love God, live like Jesus, lead others to Christ. That's Paul's spiritual compass. Number three, what else does Paul teach us? I need power to live on. So I guess my question is, where do you get your power from? Where do you get your energy to live day to day from? Where are you drawing that energy from? What's fueling you? What's energizing you? What's getting you going? Because the, the real truth is, all of us, we need constant strengthening to keep on focusing because life can wear us out. It can absolutely wear us out. It can drain us. One crisis after another crisis, it can wear us out. We can be sick and tired of life, and we can be sick and tired of being sick and tired. I mean, we're just, we're just tired. And we, we need a fresh power supply of energy spiritually. Paul understood this, and look what energized him in verse 19. He says, For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, 
what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul is saying that there are two things that have given me strength over these years that have kept me going in spite of this imprisonment, in spite of all that's happened even prior to all these things. Number one is the prayers of other people. And number two is the help of God's spirit. Those are the two things that strengthened Paul and gave him power. Prayers from other people and the help of God's spirit. And I, I, I am unashamedly asking, yes, I, along with the other leaders here in the church, we ask for your prayers. Please pray for the leadership of the church family here. Please include that in your prayers lifting to God. It is important because what leaders do is a spiritual task. It is not of this world. Jesus is our leader. But as you know, in a church family, there are different roles and responsibility. In 1 Corinthians 12, one body, many parts. I know personally I would be encouraged to know if you were praying for me and my wife and the other leaders here in the Wahoo Church family. And Paul says, this is what's given me hope. I expect and hope. This is what has given him hope. I mean, none of us can live without hope. If we don't have hope, then, then life is going to be very, very difficult. There's a saying, you've got to have hope to cope, which is so true. If you're going to be coping in life more successfully, you need hope. Well, where did Paul get this hope? He tells us. He tells us in Philippians chapter 4. Look what he says. He says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. In chapter 4, verse 13, it is Jesus Christ who gives him strength. So my question is, where do you guys get your power from? Where are you energized? Where do you get your, 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 you know, your step in your walk? Where do you get your inspiration from? Where do you get your vision from? If you're an appliance, are you plugged in to the outlet of God? Has the circuit broken or is the power on? Paul understood where to get his power to live on. And he's giving a spiritual compass for you and me. You know, guys, I've been a disciple now going on 37 years. And no way have I experienced the persecution that's described in the Bible. I read what goes on in the Bible, and there, there are moments in my life I feel really ashamed, or I feel guilty, or I feel like I am not even close to what some of these men and women of our spiritual ancestry have gone through, nor have I shed blood for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And even though I haven't experienced those things, I have experienced incredible blessings from God. I'm so thankful for my wife of 33 years. I'm so thankful for the partnership we have. It's because 
our partnership. I, I can do what I do, and I find strength because of the partner that God has given me in life. And I'm so thankful to be married to her. I'm so thankful to have the kids that I have, uh, both our sons and our daughters-in-law. I am blessed beyond all measure. And I'm very, very grateful. And I've been able to witness over these years so many incredible things that God has done to change people's lives literally all over the world. And I'm grateful and I am humbled. But I've also experienced incredible lows. I've experienced incredible pain spiritually that's challenged my faith. I've been exposed to my own personal weaknesses as a person as a dad, as a husband, as a servant leader. And whatever my role is in the past, where I've served, or whatever role I serve in the future in God's church family, what always keeps me going is Jesus. And this is not a cliche, brothers and sisters. It's not. What helps me in my pain, in my frustration, in my disappointment, in my problems, in my challenges, I look at my life and I look at Jesus' life and all of a sudden my problems become so much more conquerable. I look at what Jesus went through, I look at what some of the Bible heroes have gone through in life and then all of a sudden I feel the weight of my burden being lifted because my problems aren't that bad compared to what other people have gone through before. And that gives me hope, that gives me encouragement, that spurs me on, that I can take one more step during the day. Jesus even says it to us, guys, in Matthew 11, verse 28, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, God wants to take our problems. He does. He doesn't want you or, you or I to, to actually handle our problems by ourselves. God wants to partner with us in dealing with our problems. Only if we were to go to him continually more and more and more, not to be independent beings away from God's powers, but actually be more and more dependent. And Jesus, he's trying to invite the people of his day away from all the Jewish systems of rules and regulations. That was a burden for the people who were trying to learn how to follow God. So when Jesus came on the scene, he said, guys, I'm taking away all those things. You follow me, and it's not going to be a religion of rules and regulations. It's going to be a relationship where I am going to refresh you. I'm going to free you from guilt. I'm going to free you from the shame of sin. I'm going to free you from the consequences of all these things. Take it. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit so the Holy Spirit will guide you and counsel you and nurture you. I'm going to set it up so that everything is going to be set up for you to be victorious in life. Guys, we've got it made. We've got it made. My question again is, where do you get your power from? 
Where do you get it from? Paul got it from Jesus. We can too. You can get your power from Jesus. Make sure you're plugged into Jesus for your power. Lastly, guys, what's the last spiritual compass Paul gives us? I need a purpose to live for. By this time in Paul's life, he is old. He is tired. He's been in prison for four years. He's ready to go to heaven. And sometimes you might feel like that. There was an old commercial, a detergent commercial, Take Me Away, Calgon. Some of us who are a little bit older in the fellowship here, you remember that. You know, you're falling into this, you know, Calgon clean blanket. Just take me away. And sometimes we might feel that way. And that's okay, brothers and sisters. We're going to go through bouts of challenge in our lives. We're going to... Our emotions are like a guitar string, okay? All of our guitar strings are going to be strummed at one point or another at different times in our life. We're not robots. But Paul, everything has been taken away from him at this point in life, okay? Friends, ministry, freedom, privacy, everything's been taken away from him except the one thing that cannot be taken away from him, and that's purpose, Purpose to live for. Look what Paul says in verse 21 in chapter 1. He says, for me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. What shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to part to be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I'll continue with all of you for the progress and join the faith. So that through my being with you, again, your joy in Christ, Jesus, will overflow on account of me. Don't you just feel the the tension that Paul is expressing? I mean, he wants to leave. I want to get out of here. I've had it. I've done my time, Lord. I've had it with the persecution. I'm finished with this. I don't need this anymore in life. I am torn. I desire to die and be with you in heaven. But I'm torn. I want to depart, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And Paul is anticipating death, he's not afraid of dying. He's just looking forward to that new chapter in life where he's no longer chained to another Roman guard. Where his circumstances would just change eternally if he were gone. Paul said, 
for me to live is Christ. I really believe he meant that. I just believe he meant it. That's it. He's had it all in life. And that's it. That's the conclusion he's come up with. At the end of his life, he just says, for me, to live is Christ. There's nothing more important than that. There's no other option that's eternal than the option of living my life for Christ. My question for you and for me is, how would you fill in the blank? If you asked yourself that question, for me to live is blank. What would that be? And this is a great question for all of us, even whether becoming a Christian, before we're a Christian, and even after we become a Christian, is to... This is, the, this is the oil change dipstick that we always need to have in our lives and ask ourselves that question, for me to live is blank. And what would I fill in into that blank? And this statement has to do with purpose, brothers and sisters. This statement has to do with getting it, like what's really important in life. And Paul figured it out that there's no greater purpose in life than to live for God. And many of us have figured that out already. And if we don't continually remember who we're living for and why we're living for, then we can easily be knocked off sometime in the future. You can be easily knocked off spiritually. Where, yeah, you pumped in all these years of investing in Jesus, but if you're not careful, if you're not on your guard, if you're not protecting your heart and mind, you can easily be knocked off. But Paul figured it out. He understood what the right answer was because he really meant it. Paul looked at things in the light of eternity, and that's something you and I have to always do, brothers and sisters. Look, look at our lives in the light of eternity. Philippians 3, verse 13 and 14, Paul gives us this insight. Brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining toward what's ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What are you running after for in life? What's your goal? What's your end goal? The best use of our life is to invest it in something that will outlast it. Let me say that again. The best use of our life is to invest it in something that will outlast it. That means anything that's temporary, brothers and sisters, anything that's temporary here on this earth should not be your greatest priority or what you value the most. Don't put all your eggs in temporary things. Our jobs, our career, our education, 
our hobbies, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a spouse, our money, our possessions, all those are temporary. Now, I'm not saying they're not important, and I'm not saying that we don't find any fulfillment from these things at all. We can find tremendous happiness that produces joy from these areas of our life. But don't put all your eggs in these baskets. Put all your eggs in the basket of Jesus Christ. All these things are temporary and should hold its proper place in our heart. Then and only then can we say, for me to live is Christ. Not anything else. Why does God leave you and me here on earth even after we become Christians? Why does he leave us here? Why doesn't he just, you know, we get baptized and, you know, taken up into heaven? That'd be kind of cool. I remember when Chris got baptized, our youngest son, in Culver City many, many years ago. But it was in the beaches of Culver City. And I remember him getting baptized, and it was an incredible celebration. And after he got baptized, I just remember thinking to God, God, thank you. Thank you that our two boys are now baptized, and they've made their decision to follow you. And later that evening, the four of us flew to the Philippines to do some just benevolent work. But getting on that plane, and you know what I do traditionally, I touch the plane when I get on and I say, not today, God, not today. But during that time, I felt a sense of peace that if the plane were to go down, which I wouldn't want it to happen, I could have greater peace in my heart that God took us when he needed to take us. But why does God leave us here, brothers and sisters, even after we become Christians? It's for the benefit of other people. Chris said that earlier. Ryan, in so many ways, said that earlier. It's to the benefit of other people. That's why God still has us here on earth. It's for our kids. It's for our relatives, it's for our family, it's for our neighbors, it's for our coworkers, it's for our classmates. This is the reason why God is still pumping in life into you and waking you up every morning. It's for others. Here's a helpful way to remember our purpose on earth, brothers and sisters. Jesus first, others second, yourself third. Now, if you're right with God, then yourself is already good to go. You don't need to worry about third place. Focus on first and second place there. Because if you're good to go, then hey, you're good to go. As I close here, brothers and sisters, I hope, I hope the Spirit is helping all of us to capture as much of the heart and spirit that the Apostle Paul wants to convey to each one of us. I believe that God wants you and me to enjoy the rest of our lives here on earth, but it starts with the foundational values we're talking about today. If you and I are going to learn how to be joyful no matter what, 
Again, it doesn't mean we're robots who have, don't have feelings or emotions. Let's bring those things. Let's cast all our anxiety upon God because he cares for us. But you and I need, number one, we need perspective to live from. Look at the problems through God's eyes. There's a purpose behind your problem. Number two, you need a priority to live by. Settle it in your heart what's most important and what's not. Love God, live like Jesus, lead others to Christ. Thirdly, you need power to live on. Don't live life on your own power. Don't carry all your burdens by your own strength. Jesus is more than happy to partner with you. And then lastly, we need a purpose to live for. Life is not judged by its duration, but by its donation. It's how much we give back while we're still living here on earth. And let's not build simply our lives here on earth. Let's build the lives of other people so that God will be glorified and he uses our lives. Let's be able to say, brothers and sisters, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Let's have some great fellowship. Let's share what we learned through God's word today with one another. Continue reading and learning from the book of Philippians. Great being with you, Dave. Amen.